Welcome to Wired for Impact, home of creators, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are wired to make a difference. If you're here, it's because you have three things. Number one, a unique gift or calling. Number two, you care about people. And number three, you have a deep desire to contribute. When you add those three things up, you are in the game of creating impact. You are what I call an impact player. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the program. And in each episode, I have conversations with world-class impact players who have aligned their unique gifts with the contribution they've made in the world to create massive impact. So listen into these conversations and allow them to inspire you to overcome the obstacles in your way and to fulfill your potential. All right, I'm here with Aaron Bowman. Aaron, welcome to the call. Hey, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. This is this is a topic of interest that I have been trying to find an expert on for a little while, and suddenly your name came up. I think I came across you on a YouTube video or something, but I'm very glad that we were able to get in touch. You were very nice to share a bunch of info with me the other day, and it was one of those things where I was like, you know what? I think my audience would want to know more about that. So we're going to get into private member associations today, but first and foremost, again, welcome to the call, and thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, I absolutely appreciate being here. This is great. Awesome. So for those that are, uh, a lot of people don't even know what a PMA is, a private member association. Can you just give people a quick overview so that we're all on the same page as to what it is and why it exists? Yeah, absolutely. So the private membership association, they have been around for a very long time. Here, I'm up in Connecticut, New England, so they weren't very well known. And I was introduced to them a, a two and a half years back now, somewhere around there, and then kind of just dove right into it. And so private membership associations are just that. They're associations that are private and they're all around us. We just don't realize it. Your bar association is a private association. You know, for example, you have drinking clubs in Texas that are private associations in areas that are still dry counties. So if you and I were in the same watering hole, so to speak, and you were having a burger and I walked in, I was like, hey, I want to get a burger and a beer. They're going to say, hey, are you part of the association? I would say no. They would have me sign up, pay whatever the association fee is. And now I can then partake in that association by ordering a beer or whiskey or whatever my drink of choice is. And what it allows people to do is it allows the general public or a group of like-minded individuals to get together and be able to share ideas, whether it's health-related, education-related, more of a community-based and building a community maybe on self-reliance, that sort of thing. It could even be political. You can use them for a variety of things. And that's where this all kind of, you saw an explosion of this when this pandemic started a few years ago and everybody was like, oh, you can't go meet with your family. There's no more than two people in a room, social distancing, you have to wear a mask whether you like to or not and all this other stuff. So I think most people, including myself, were like, wait a second, this isn't right here. I shouldn't have to do this. Now, how can I figure out a way to operate and not have that overreach, you know, keep that limited government limited? Gotcha. So taking a step back for a second, for those that are just brand, brand new to this whole concept, what you're talking about sounds illegal. It sounds like, okay, if there's a, a dry county, or for those that don't know what that is, a county that's decided that alcohol is illegal or they're not allowed to use it. Now there's these private member associations that they are allowing to drink or that you're, <laughs> you're you know, the government's saying two people to a house, but you're going to have more than two people. Doesn't that, that sounds illegal. What's, what's, how do you respond to that? So they have their limitations, right? And they're backed by the first, 14th Amendment, 5th, 10th. There's a ton of case law. If anybody wants to look any of this up, and again, I don't have any mythology. This isn't something that, you know, some quote-unquote guru has been pushing on the internet for the last, you know, 50 years. And it's, it's all, everything I do is backed by case law. And you can go to Google Scholar. You can type in unincorporated associations, you can type in private membership associations, you'll see the NAACP come up, you'll see the Boy Scouts of America come up under associations or right of association. But you're right, there's a limitation. Like I can't open up a brothel, I can't sell narcotics out of my house and say it's an association, right? There is a limitation. That limitation is where it comes to the clear and present danger test. So if there's a clear and present danger or substantial evil that your association could be doing to your members or the general public, that's where the government can come in and insert themselves, right? And say, mm, no, what you're doing is illegal or is going to cause serious harm, death to somebody. So 
One of the examples I use when I work with a lot of natural homopathic doctors and individuals that want to set up private health associations or PHAs, and I'm just going to use PMA in this conversation just as a catch-all because uh, mm -hmm. there's different variations. You know, I tell people like, listen, you could tell somebody that you could have elderberry syrup to take care of or, or help assist with an upper respiratory issue, right? It's been around for eons. What you can't do is, and we've seen PMAs fail where people create things in their basement. One, for example, was a laser device of some sort, which was never tested on anybody, was never gone through that that background like, you know, elderberry syrup's been around or ginger root or any of these other natural things. And they tried to sell it to their members. And that's where they got into trouble because they can't prove that it's not going to cause harm or, or damage. And the other example I use is if I tell somebody, listen, come into my health association, I'm going to give you this pill. It's half cocaine, half fentanyl. It's going to clear your headache up. It could probably also kill you. So mm -hmm. again, there's limitations to everything we do and there has, and it has to be operated properly. So yeah, a lot of people are like, well, what stopped me from running a brothel or, or doing this or doing that? Well, one, it's, you know, for most people, it's morally and ethically wrong. And two, the government still has a say at certain, certain levels where you start to cause that clear and present danger of substantial evil. So <clears throat> clear and present danger being one of the litmus tests, what, what other things are there? Like what, yeah, what other things that are there out there that people need to consider if they're going to do a PMA? Well, oh, oof, that's a big question. So <laughs> there's a lot of things. I'm a Star Wars guy, so I explain PMAs as like the Death Star, right? Darth Vader had this Death Star, the Chancellor, it was, you know, impenetrable, except for this one little hole that Luke Skywalker shot a missile down, right? PMAs are very similar. There's, they are great protection. They allow you that right of association. They allow you to get together with other people, whether there's lockdowns or not, because it's private. You're not open. And here's two key words is open for public accommodation and you have exclusivity to who you're letting in your association. So as long as you have those things, you can you can do all these things. But as soon as you start getting off the reservation or outside of that, and you're not taking minutes of your meetings, your PMA is set up to do X, Y, and Z, but then you're doing A, B, and C, which is completely different. And I use the example of people, let's say like with us, we have Liberty House in Connecticut, and we're more of a community-based ministry and we get together and we do different classes now if i say under that same thing hey we're also going to paint houses on the weekend and if you become a member we'll paint your house that's that's totally different things you know mm. they have their their umbrella so to speak but you want to keep everything very similar in what you're doing and as long as you're operating properly and that means you have your founding documents you have your minutes of your meetings you show if you have donations or money coming in that it's going into an account or you know it's being held by the PMA and it's not going through somebody's LLC into your account you know and that's these are things we've seen in court cases where the the right of association has failed in court as long as you're doing things properly you're not trying to scam the system because I get a lot of people like well what about taxes I don't have to pay taxes that's a personal thing you got to worry about you know I tell people I have people that want to pay taxes I have people that don't but again it's what fights are you looking to get into. So as long as you're operating things properly, you're, you're going to be okay. But once you start, you know, like that example of running a brothel and you start running a brothel and it's not legal in your area, well, the government can come in and say, Oh, listen, you know, you could, there could be a clear and present danger to the health of your members or the, the women that work there or the men or what have you. And it's not like the local government doesn't know what these are. We've seen it in court cases out of New Jersey, out of Michigan, Massachusetts, where, you know, people have had private education associations set up and they could have done things a little bit different, but they were very eager to get started. And, and this was like smack dab during the pandemic. And we had one town basically come back on their in, on their affidavit or not their affidavit, but their their cease and desist to this 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 PH or PEA, this private education association. And they they literally wrote in black and white: there is a clear and present danger to the students being in the building and not wearing a mask. Right. So right. they know they know what's going on. And we see a lot of pushback more so with the PEAs because now the kids are getting pulled out of school, the towns aren't getting the money, so on and so forth. And you know, the local government wants to stick their foot in the door. So then those are where we see most of our battles. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where they it's kind of like a really fine line, you know, like it's it you don't want to open up the door for the for the local or 
federal government to come sticking their foot in, and that's why things have to be done properly. You have to have, you know, maybe a sign in your door that says private association members only, not open for public accommodation, you know, certain things like that to let the public know. Because people, if you have a storefront, so to speak, and maybe you have like a co-op and you're selling things and members of your co-op can come in and buy food, but maybe you're also offering classes or maybe you have some religious aspect where in that co-op on the weekends you're getting together to congregate and worship, you know, somebody might be walking by and just want to come in and, and poke around and they can't, they have to become members first. So it's really important that you, you do certain things. And we haven't had any pushback so far in Connecticut. I heard of one PEA right now. We've got several in Connecticut so far, only one's being challenged. But again, that person did things that I wouldn't have suggested. Like they put a lot of verbiage on their website that they didn't need a lot of poking the bear unnecessarily mm -hmm. so to speak mm -hmm. you know, uh, so. i should have asked you this earlier but you're talking about we we have you know several in connecticut can you explain to people your connection to pmas in general because i didn't yeah so so long story short this was probably almost a year maybe close to eight months in somewhere around there of the pandemic and my circle got really small because you know i realized that some people are just oblivious to what's going on around them and then my circle got tighter and started getting involved in different political action groups in the area one was a make america's free again started kind of showing its head here in connecticut and we're a very liberal state needless to say so i was like hey i can get on board with what they're looking to do helping small business you know fighting these whole masks and vaccinations and everything else so kind of got involved with that met a couple people through that we had a meeting at my real estate office and then so i met with these three other individuals after the meeting and basically i was like you know this one guy had a, a spot that he was going to turn to a brewery didn't happen because he started right before everything hit the fan so he's like yeah i've got this space we should use it for something so the four of us put together what we called the freedom bazaar in less than two weeks we had farmers come in we had local vendors local shop owners and we just basically put it out there no masks you don't have to have to worry about any type of vaccination come out we'll have a bounce house for kids a face painter and we had like i don't know a close to maybe 100 people show up in, in less wow. than two weeks of planning and the vibe was insane it was just like mm -hmm. everybody was you know high-fiving giving hugs you know people realize that oh they're close to these different circles so after that happened we were like you know this was pretty cool we, we need to do this again there's obviously a need for this in the community and that's when one of which is now one of the trustees of liberty house was like you know i was talking to this guy about pmas and I, I wasn't really that familiar at the time. So I was like, all right, let me let me talk to this guy. So I called up this guy, David Edwards, out of Texas, and he's been doing PMAs for a while. So we had like an hour phone conversation. Then I took all my notes and I started researching everything. So then I started looking up case law and I was like, okay, well, this stuff is legit. Like there's there's cases that I can look at, the NAACP, the Bar Association, Boy Scouts of America, right? The, um, I think those the, are, the, the Fed is a PMA too, I think. The Federal Reserve? Yeah. It, pretty sure you know it might be i never even looked into that it's a good point i think point. the democratic and republican, republican party are, well. are yep they're both yep. pmas also so got looking into that and i said okay man it's cool we'll have you set up our our, our unincorporated ministry out here that's the route we were looking to go and because we were thinking of more community-based at that point and i said but i want to know how to do this i want to i want more i want to tap you for you know your your knowledge and so I started working with him and then I really started diving into all these different cases and constitution, state constitution, and really broadening my education on it. And then I started setting them up for other people. And I guess you could call him one of his quote unquote senior advisors. You know, I still do work with them. We do weekly calls and, and go over things and further our education. And so then I started setting these up for other people and started setting them up for everything from coffee shops to butchery from here all the way to Hawaii. So from the East Coast all the way out to Hawaii. I haven't done any in Canada. I've had people ask me about Australia and England, and I just don't have the time or bandwidth to figure out how it would work with their bill of rights and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I got started in all this. And so then we put together Liberty House Ministries. We had a spot we were using. We were meeting regularly. We started doing like potlucks. We had speakers come in and we started doing preparedness classes, homeschooling co-ops. We did food preparation. We did like emergency survival radio classes. We had a guy come in and talk about radios and how to communicate if everything should go down and all these different things that people are interested in. And our community just started growing, which is Great. So now we do a lot of business within our community. We'd have a time sharing bank. So for example, if you needed your house painted, I come over and paint your house and you're an attorney. I come over and paint. You could say, Hey, all right, you were here for three hours. I'll give you three hours of attorney time if you need it. So we've really 
growing our community, which has been nice. We've been very stagnant over this past summer because everybody's like, you know, out and doing things, but fall's coming back around and we've done Christmas bazaars. We did a fall festival last year. And this is what's great about PMA. So this fall festival we did, just so your listeners can get an understanding of how they work and how nice it is, is we didn't pull a permit for any of the stuff we did. So we had four bands that played for four hours. We had a food vendor, a food truck show up. We had 12, I think 12 vendors, 10 or 12 vendors. We were selling hard cider, beer, and then, you know, soda and stuff for the kids or waters and what have you. And the food truck didn't have to pull any permits because we made him a member for the day so he could sell to other members because that's the best part about PMA is you can have that private right of contractual agreement. So he can he contracted with us to come and provide food for our members. And then anybody that showed up wasn't a member paid a membership fee for that day and became a member for the day. And then a lot of these people convert into, you know, like a, a six month or yearly member or what have you. And it was great. We had a bounce house. We had all kinds of fun. We were doing pumpkin painting and it was just like, it was a huge, huge event for us and it was really good. And it really just brought awareness to the other, you know, we'll call them freedom cells in Connecticut of, of how you can operate and do these things without having to go pull permits and do all this stuff and, you know, jumping through all these hoops because at the, at the root of everything are, you know, one of our, you know, one of the things we enjoy as, as citizens or, or people in the U S is, you know, we just want to be left alone and we want to have that right. And that's a right, you know, like we don't want that infringement on our privacy or anything like that, you know, and it was just nice to see everybody come out and, and not have to worry about it. You know, different members did different things, some help with parking, some help with drinks, some help with the bands setting up and all that stuff. And it was just, it's, it's nice to be able to do these things, or, you know, maybe you have a farm stand or, or a small homestead and you want to sell milk and eggs and all this stuff. You don't have to worry about, you know, jumping through these hoops, not that you won't be tried maybe, or you might not, you know, you might get a knock on the door and say, Hey, you can't do this. Like, you know, California and Colorado are really big on that. Like this whole food sharing thing and selling, they want you to jump through all these hoops, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where you can just operate and just be left alone. Like if I want to sell you my chicken eggs, that's a private contractual agreement between you and me, whether you pay me in, you know, bread or silver or fiat currency or crypto or whatever, that's between you and I. And then, and honestly, the government has no business being in that, that type of thing. Cause it's, it's private. It's not like a Walmart or your local, you know, hardware store that is open to everybody to come in, you know, mm. so, so that's kind of how it all got started. Gotcha. So you've, you've, you've already addressed this question, but I'm going to ask you again, again, for those that are still very new to this, how is, how is something like this different than just setting up an LLC or something like that? Why, if, I mean, the government could come in, if, if the government can come in on either case to test, you know, do, do no harm, et cetera. And I understand there's a difference between fully open to the public or not. So that that's one key difference, but more or less, why would somebody set up a PMA versus just setting up an LLC? So like your LLCs, your S-Corps, your C-Corps, your limited partnerships are all statutory compliant, meaning that they're going to follow the, the will of the state or the local government. A lot of your churches or nonprofits are set up as 501c3s. Those are also government entities. So you kind of have to follow what the government says, right? So that's why churches shut down, but your Walmarts and strip clubs could stay open, right? It was just, that's how things were. And it was just ridiculous. And having- But isn't uh, Walmart like a C-Corp? Or yeah, they're just a regular corporation. It's just, you know, it was like small businesses had to shut down, but large businesses could stay open. It didn't make a lot right. of sense during the beginning of everything. Right. But with your PMAs, now there are some people that write statutory compliant PMAs. And that means that when they write their PMAs, it says in there that like, for example, if it was a statutory compliant PMA here in Connecticut, it would say that XYZ PMA will follow all state rules and regulations, right? So, or something along those lines, some verbiage like that. So that means you have to kind of deal with the state says as opposed to what I write, it doesn't have any of that statutory wording in there. It relies heavily on the first, 14th, 10th, 5th Amendment. You know, the First Amendment's huge as far as your right of association and, and stuff like that. And then we reference different court cases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I tell your listeners, definitely go out and check all this stuff out. Go into like Google Scholar. It's one of the, it's one free version to look up different court cases, or you can even go and get like, I think it's like a seven day trial at Fastcase. And you can just type in, you know, unincorporated associations and you'll see everything under the sun from all all the different states come up in supreme court cases and there's a lot with the NAACP being that they're an association and what's 
what's great is that gives us standing to have these associations. And, you know, like if the local government came in and said, we want your list of all your members, I don't have to provide that. And there's standing court cases that have that one being NAACP versus Alabama was one of them. And, the, and Alabama basically came in and said, well, we want to know who all your members are. And NAACP was like, no, I'm not giving you that. Well, and all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court is like, no, you have no right. They're a private association. The state can insert themselves and get their member information. So, mm-hmm. There's a lot of good case law and there's a lot of bad too that goes against PMAs. And it's just because people do stupid things, you know, and Mm -hmm. and it just, it happens, you know, but I mean, there's, there's a ton, whether it's private education or health or just the regular right of association, like the NAACP. I mean, we had Griswold versus Connecticut. Here's a big one that, that deals with private education and stuff like that. So there's a bunch out of there. And, uh, you know, for your listeners, if anybody wants, I'll give all my email and contact information. They can reach out and I'd be more than happy to send them some stuff to really sink their teeth into so they can actually see this, you know, from different uh, court opinions and different court journals that really dive into this. That'd be awesome. So for those that are interested in getting one set up, walk us through the process for that. So it's pretty simple. You just can reach out to me. There's others that do it. And I'll tell everybody, like, you don't need to come to me. There's others out there, but just be cognizant of who you work with. Like I've had to redo people's documents. I've seen documents from other, we'll call them groups that set up PMAs. So you could go to a group out of Texas, they charge you 10 grand and their claim to fame is that they'll represent you in court should you need to. They write statutory compliant PMAs and one that I saw that was written that I, the lady wanted me to redo hers is she was in Texas and it referenced like the Vermont constitution. I couldn't understand why it didn't make any sense. And it was just in my opinion, poorly written. There's other websites where you can go to and there's a lot of what we'll call Patriot mythology on there and you can get one done for $275. Have no idea what you're getting, haven't seen theirs. And there's everything in between. There's places out of Florida. I think there's one out of like California that does it. You know, then you have David Edwards. He has a group of, of individuals that have, you know, kind of gone through an online training and, and have a good understanding and have been mentored. So they know how to set them up. That's like, again, that's where I got a lot of my initial information from. And so basically with me, let's say you call me up or you shoot me a text or an email, you know, we can do a consultation. I used to do free consultations, but then it was like two, three hours a day. I'm on the phone or on a zoom call. So with a wife and five kids that didn't work out. So to kind of weed people out, I was like, listen, 50 bucks, you get me for 45 minutes. We'll talk. I'll answer all your questions and so on and so forth. So that's kind of weeded a few people out. And basically what I end up getting is really understanding what you're looking to do with your PMA, why you want to set it up, if that's even the best route for you to go. Because PMAs don't work in every situation, right? Like if you're a plumber and you need to get settling for your torches and you need a license for that, well, you may not want to give up your license, you know, and you might want to use your license to get it. And sometimes it just doesn't work right. Or, you know, like I one person wanted to do like Airbnbs or wanted to have like a charter, a charter with airplanes. And I'm like, I don't know how that would really work with the FAA and and especially the Airbnb if you're going to be contracting with them they're probably not going to even understand what a PMA is so you're just making more work for yourself than if you were just to get you know maybe on the real estate side just do an LLC call it a day type thing you know mm. so it didn't work for every situation so we dive into why you want to do it what you know about them where you've you've heard about them you know and I try to help with a little bit of the education then I'll send them some files to look at some PDF stuff out of you know different law books and then I, I, you know, we find out, okay, well, let's say a PMA works for you. Great. What I'm going to need from you, I'm going to send over my agreement. And basically on that agreement, you're going to give me who your three trustees are. Two's minimum because everything's done on like a two thirds vote. And the trustees are the ones that control the operation of the PMA day to day, where it goes, how money's spent, all those types of things are all written in your bylaws, in your articles of organization. The name of the PMA, if it's going to be a faith-based, if it's going to be ministry or an unincorporated church, or just like a standard PMA where there's no religious or faith involved. And then once we figure all that out, it takes me about, you know, seven to 10 days to put everything together, depending on how many other PMAs I'm writing, send out a rough draft. We either go over, over a zoom, maybe over the phone. Some people don't need to go over it because it's not written in any type of, you know, legalese or anything where it's like super hard to understand. It's pretty black and white. And it's, it's made that way because laws should be able to have like the, the common person be able to understand them. Right. So Agreed. it's written. <laughs> and once you tell me it's good to go, I send you the, the finalized copy. And then, you know, I provide support as I can, you know, so if you have a question about something or somebody came knocking on your door, 
uh, you know, just give me a call and I'll try to give you my experience on the best way to handle it. And then I tell people to always, cause like the tax stuff always comes up or, you know, do you know any constitutional attorneys or attorneys in my area? Should I need one? And I just tell people start as soon as you start getting into the, associ the private associations or unincorporated associations, start making phone calls in your area. You know, there's one company, American Tax Relief. I think that's what their name is. I can never remember, but I've heard them in a couple of podcasts. They deal with the 508 C1As and we'll talk about that in a minute. They've dealt with associations, but the biggest thing is finding somebody in your local area because things change so much from county to county, state to state. You know, like we'll see in some states, PMAs can hold property in other states. It's the trustees of the PMA that have to sign for the property. So there's, there's just different nuances depending on where you are. So I tell people reach out to local tax attorneys or CPAs that understand associations and then bring in the unincorporated association after that. And you shouldn't have to explain everything to them. They should already know what that is. I tell people stay away from like the guys out front of the gas station, spinning those things around telling you, Hey, come on in, we'll do your taxes because they have no idea what you're talking about. And then mm -hmm. same thing with attorneys, you know, start looking if you should need one. I also tell people that when you're getting the, the PMA set up or while I'm in the process of putting it together, I do have two other resources. I direct people to that have nothing to do with me. I just think they're really good information. One's the jurisdictionary course by Dr. Graves. And the other one is Chris Ann Hall. Both of them are, are practicing attorneys and she has Liberty Society or Liberty Unit. Yeah, Liberty Society, I think is what her website is or Liberty First, something like that. You just type in Chris Ann Hall, you'll find her. But she has, I think it's like 32 modules and it really breaks down the constitution, the amendments, where our founding documents came from. And it just gives you a really good in-depth crash course on our history and understanding the documents that we live by. And then you get your stuff and you're kind of off to the races. And then it's, you start building your association. You start bringing members in depending on what you're looking to do. And I tell people most of the time you're going to start off with one thing in your head and it's going to morph into something else. Like when we started Liberty House, we weren't, you know, we, we thought we wanted to do community-based. We weren't 100% sure. And then it just grew and it grew into the homeschooling and the co-ops and the food and the preparedness classes. And, you know, like we did a class where we got together with our members and we made a wash machine out of a five-gallon bucket and a an old school plunger, right? It was just like a hands-on thing to get together and all the kids are all running around outside and playing. Everybody else is kind of doing their thing together. So that's pretty much the process. And then, you know, outside of that, I just give you a bunch of reading stuff because you really just got to educate yourself on this because mm. we've seen people do dumb things and like, you know, <clears throat> put too much information on your websites. You know, like if you were to look for Liberty House, you're not going to find us anywhere. We're not on social. Well, it's not true. We have our own social media platform here in Connecticut that we started and it's uh, for groups in this area. And we have now started to expand that a little bit. That's a noncompliant.org. So you'll find like a closed group on there. It's very similar to like the layout of Facebook, but other than that, you won't find us anywhere. So it's mm. just, uh, you know, word of mouth, that sort of thing. And one it's, I want to fly underneath the radar as much as possible. You know, we don't need, you know, the, the, the limelight, so to speak, but again, you know, it keeps our circle closer because now it's, you know, not just, oh, we saw you online. It was, you know, hey, we went to an event and we stopped by your booth and we like what you guys are doing with, you know, silver or, you know, what you guys are doing with Liberty House and we want to, you know, find out more. So, and we have an intake process and everything like that. And then the the trustees vote on if we let somebody in or not. So and that's, that's kind of how it all, how it all works, you know, and I, I think a lot of people make it more complicated than it needs to be. Mm. How much does something like that cost to get set up? So for it can range from $1,400 all the way up to $2,800. And that really depends on what type of PMA we're setting up and the documents involved. Usually I tell people I like half up front, half on the, and the, once the documents are completed, I like to get paid with Liberty Dollar because they're a PMA also that offers banking services, but it's all backed by silver. And I've been doing some work with Wayne and Kathy Hicks. So, you know, I refer to them because it's just another way to incorporate PMAs into your life. So we've done silver bazaars and stuff like that up here. And, you know, so I prefer to get paid that way, but you know, there's other ways, you know, I, I try to stay away from cash app and PayPal, Venmo, all that nonsense, you know, because I don't like, like everybody else, I, the less, the less the government's looking in on me, the better off, you know? So, yeah. but makes sense. And then, uh, is this, you'd mentioned trustees a few times. Is there a trust that's created in this process? 
So no, we just use the word as, as trustees as the ones that are running the PMA. So like I'm the chair and we have two co-trustees. We had three co-trustees, but then one decided, you know, personal life was getting too much. Couldn't be involved as much. So we just held a meeting and we voted and we, you know, he has to be removed. We brought it up in our meeting. We voted as the trustees and he was removed. And then we also have, you know, and this is how the PMAs are set up. You can have your, your like executive board, so to speak. And basically what they, like for us, we have our most active members members on this board and they're kind of like the go between between members or they help bounce ideas off or you know they're our advisory board basically and they help advise on certain things they don't have any voting rights the members don't have any voting rights it's all you know left up to the trustees now there is i have one pma that i kind of haven't really done anything with yet but i have it kind of written up to where there's a trust in it, but I don't think it's really necessary all the time. Now, some people, you know, like Liberty Dollar Financial Association, for example, is a PMA that's held in a trust and it's an unincorporated business trust. And you could do that. I don't think there's necessarily a whole need for it all the time unless you're gonna have more than just the PMA going on or maybe you wanna hold property in an unincorporated business trust. And that's something that came out of Boston, like the 1700s. So it's the Boston Trust, Massachusetts Trust, or unincorporated trust, it's kind of all the same thing. And it just allows a business to operate without having to be incorporated. And there's some good and bad to that, you know, like uh, in some states, PMAs are looked at as, because they are an unincorporated association, some states look at them as like a partnership with the, the trustees. So, you know, again, it depends on what state you're in, really kind of digging down to see, you know, how they're looked at in, in your state. But mm -hmm. yeah, there's no, the, we just use it as the word trustees, as the people that have the voting rights and kind of have your day-to-day -day operations and, you know, can, you know, say, okay, well, you know, if there's any disputes that come up within the PMA, you know, we can put together then, you know, a tribunal for the lack of better description to where it's members deciding if another member did somebody wrong or that sort of thing. And just having it set up where it's all contained and we're kind of like our own little, again, community where it's all being handled within our own, walls it doesn't go to the i mean not that it couldn't go to court but it necessarily doesn't have to get that far because we handle it amongst ourselves mm. so a lot of what i when i've started to research this stuff and thought about it there's a real mental shift that people need to to tune into because we've been so conditioned that the legal the quote unquote legal system is the entire structure of our entire society and really what you're talking about and to me this comes down to jurisdiction because what you're talking about is creating these organizations private contracts where you're not operating within the jurisdiction of what we have normally been conditioned to think of as the legal system and and the PMAs et cetera that jurisdiction is backed and and completely explicitly spelled out in in the constitution is that correct correct so i think it's hard for somebody who's completely new to this to to start to make that mental switch do you have any advice or any any other references or, or resources that you could point to to help somebody understand or just speak to the freedom that we all are in and <laughs> you know, just given by birthright. Yeah. You know, your, your unalienable rights are, are something that I, you know, and I, it, it's very important to understand what your unalienable rights are and that, you know, I don't know how, what all your listeners are, but you know, you know, our, our rights came from a creator or God, you know, and it's nothing to be taken away or sold or anything like that. And I tell everybody, you know, first, just start with the U.S. Constitution, read through it, because half the people haven't read through it at least once or even twice, highlight some stuff, look up words you don't understand, and then look into the amendments, you know, starting with the First Amendments or what's now called the Bill of Rights. And, you know, your declaration, the Declaration of Independence, you know, understand what the reasoning was behind that and why that declaration came out. I mean, mean, you know, just understanding all that stuff. And, and, and then you'll kind of start to understand it and look at history and be like, wow, they were, uh, you know, we had this whole revolution based on, you know, religious and taxation without representation and not being a part of parliament across the pond. And, you know, and it was nowhere near as bad as it is today, you know, and, but we're so dumbed down as a society and we don't understand these things and it's not taught in school. There's no civics taught anymore that it's kind of like, yeah, you just want to keep us fat, dumb and happy and watching Netflix and the latest nonsense that Disney's pushing out or what have you. And so I tell people, start there, start with, start with the constitution, then move on to your state constitution. Right? So like here in Connecticut, we used to have sheriffs. We don't have sheriffs anymore. And I didn't realize that until I read our state constitution that the sheriff was taken out. Like we have a, 
quote unquote high sheriff, but all they do is transportation of prisoners or inmates from the you know the the courthouse to wherever they're going. They don't have any powers like you have in other states, you know, because that sheriff is an elected position. It's usually the highest elected position in the state. Like a sheriff could walk into a state troopers barrack and say, hey, we're taking this over because we need this for X, Y, Z, right? So anyways, like you just need to understand where your constitution fits in and, and how it's similar to the US constitution. And I tell people to start there. Once you're done with that and you kind of have read through it, it's also where I tell people get into the Chris Ann Hall stuff. You know, I don't want to try to plug too many people on here, but you know, it's just really good information. I haven't had anybody put it together and plainly as she does. And it's a lot of video, a lot of audio, and it's it's more of teaching, you know, it's not, you know, even, you know, it's just teaching everything you should have learned in school, to be quite honest. And then uh, once you get from that point, understanding jurisdiction, understanding how, you know, and not everybody wants to go down this road. This is the kind of the path I went down is understanding, okay, the jurisdiction, the court system, how does that work? And that's where it led me to, to Dr. Graves. And I've talked to him a few times over the phone and, you know, great, great gentleman. He, you know, he wants to change the world by having everybody understand the legal system. And, you know, I get a lot of people that call me up and, you know, they get into, you know, the whole state national state citizen, you know, the Anna Von rights, the David Strait, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, listen, feel free to go down that road. I have friends that have done it and they're in that, that wormhole or rabbit hole, so to speak. But when it comes down to it, you know, our laws, our constitution was all written well, really well. We just don't know as a society how to use it. Like if somebody does me wrong or trespasses on my property or trespasses on my person, if I didn't take some of these courses, I would have no idea what my legal remedies are. And that's a problem because they just want you to go hire a third party attorney who's going to most likely see how deep your pockets are, you know, as opposed to you taking the time and just kind of understanding how it works. And once you realize how the court system works, it's really not that scary of a place or really that diabolical, I guess maybe is another word for it, you know, and there, yes, there are corrupt judges, there are bad lawyers and all that stuff. But if you can hold these bad actors accountable because you understand how the system works because it was built for us. We built the system, right? It was, you know, government was given to us by God. If you want to look at it that way, if you have a, like a biblical worldview, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, once you understand how all this stuff fits together, you're like, ah, this is how it's supposed to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you start understanding the PMAs more and you're like, oh, I can go by, you know, we have a member that, that makes sourdough bread. I buy it from her on a, on a somewhat of a regular basis. And if she sees this, I haven't bought it probably in like three weeks. So I'm sorry. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, like she might have 13 cats in her house, 15 kids, her brothers living there, or whatever the situation is. Right. But I don't care about any of that because I'm contracting with her personally because I know she makes really good sourdough bread. Same thing if the local farmer has, uh, you know, uh, unpasteurized milk. I'm buying it. From him because that's what I choose to do as an individual and that's my right to choose who I want to have commerce with or who I want to support or or who I want to barter with and once you start realizing all this and all the puzzle pieces start fitting together you're like this is how it was supposed to be it's not supposed to be as complicated as we make it you know and I just you know hope more people start understanding that and putting it together because if you start looking anything that's going on in the world or the you know the the news if you watch it or you know i've actually turned away from the news and i watch another channel that's all about agricultural news which is very interesting because they're talking about a lot of the same things but it's more like food based you know they're harvesting corn two to four weeks earlier a lot of cattle's being sold because of the drought and food prices and lack of food and it's like as soon as people start understanding this, they start building their communities. So as they build their PMAs in their area, if I need to get soap and milk from somebody, I know what PMA that's our farm that's operating as a PMA that I can go to and say, hey, listen, we want to come in and do like a bulk order for our members. And then we can provide that to our members. And then the PMAs can start working together and you can start having those contractual agreements where I don't have to go to Walmart or Target or, you know, some of the other stores in the, in the areas, you know, your viewers are probably from all over, but that's what's up here in our area, you know, and it gets to the point where I don't necessarily, you know, I'm a little self-sufficient, but then I also have other PMAs I can rely on if I need eggs, milk, bread, that sort of thing. And, mm -hmm. and that's why I think a lot of us that are in this realm of setting up PMAs or in this, this, this community is where we'd like to see things go to where we're more reliant on your local community. Because if, let's say lockdowns come again or things get really bad and you can't travel or, you know, some of this, this stuff they're talking about, like 
carbon taxes and all those other things, you know, go walk three miles to your neighbor or your local farm and maybe you can't drive or there's a fuel shortage or whatever the 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 shiny object is of the day they want you to look at in the news you know to be able to be more self-reliant to be able to work with other pmas is huge you know and, mm-hmm. and i think that's where as people get into this they start to see that light bulb go off and they're like oh yeah this this makes sense now this is a lot easier than you know it's made out to be and and mm-hmm. i tell a lot of people listen pmas are great but they can fail, you know, and I don't want anybody to ever think that, you know, oh, once I have a PMA, I'm untouchable because you're not. We, we've seen there's plenty of court cases out there where people have done dumb things where either they had an LLC set up in the same name as the PMA and they were taking money in the LLC and not the PMA. But then when they got to court, they said, no, they're all members. And they're like, OK, well, where's your, you know, why is the money coming into the LLC and not the PMA? And they can't answer that, right? They're doing things wrong because they're trying to beat the system one way or another, you know? And, you know, if you're on the up and up and doing things properly, you shouldn't have anything to worry about. What are some of the other mistakes that you've seen people make? Oh, plenty. So that's one. I've seen people, other court cases, I think it was out of either Missouri or Michigan. I can't remember off the top of my head, but the guy basically had a health association and he was doing chiropractic stuff, but as you read through the court case, it didn't look like everyone went to chiropractor school or even held a license at any point. So the state came in and basically shut them down because you know chiropractic is great, but if you're doing it wrong, you could cause somebody some serious damage. So we've seen that, we've seen people try to circumvent the FDA Cosmetic Act where they've created something in their basement that's never been tested before. Again, one of those was laser light therapy or something along those lines, as opposed to doing you know your natural homopathic stuff. We've seen a lot of it where let me see i can pull some of them up real quick while we're talking here some of the stuff that has failed has been just not you know trying to insert the right of association where you don't so boy scouts of america that's one i couldn't remember off the top of my head they had a homosexual scout leader or what have you and they booted them out and said nope we don't want you here we're an association and we don't have to have you and that's technically right with associations the the trustees can pick and choose who they let in based on you know what the person's looking to gain or bring or that that sort of thing. So went to courts. Originally it was it was one in favor of the Boy Scouts of America. And then it went to the appellate court and basically came back and said, no, even though you are an association, you you aren't private. And what they basically looked at is they the Boy Scouts of America provided a public accommodation. So anybody could walk into a, a Boy Scout of America office in their local area and buy scouting stuff, shirts, t-shirts, hats, whatever. And then they didn't have an exclusivity as to who they let into the Boy Scouts of America, whether that was scout leaders between the age of 45 and 50 or boys between the ages of eight and, and 16 or whatever it was. So those are two of the things that they didn't have. So they couldn't claim the right of association. And that's where we make sure that when people are getting these set up, that they understand that you have to have that that non-public accommodation and that exclusivity. So that's, you know, some of the ways people have done things wrong or they just blatantly, you know, put all this stuff all over the internet. They're posting on Facebook and, you know, they're doing all these things. So then if somebody like the Department of Children and Family Services starts to build a case against them because they're in the Department of Children and Family Services eyes is operating a childcare facility, for lack of a better description, without a license, they say, oh, well, look, you have pictures of kids in there. You have parents dropping off and all these things. And this is one that we saw in New Jersey, Massachusetts, where basically the state agency started showing up and instead of the people who had these these PMAs and ministries set up for, you know, a part of it being education, telling them, listen, we don't offer public accommodation. You can't come in. If you want to come back in, you either need to get a warrant or join our membership. And the way I write my membership agreements is that, you know, if you join and you work for the state, that you're not joining in that capacity and anything you see or find in there cannot be used to build a case against the PMA. Again, unless there's that, you know, clear and present danger, substantial evil type thing. So basically what happened with this one in New Jersey is, you know, and in Massachusetts. So this, this agency started showing up, they started parking across the street. They started, you know, counting how many kids were coming in and out. And then eventually they had like a cease and desist issued. And when we met with the, myself and a few others that advise on PMAs met with this lady's attorney, again, this is where it came up that there was a clear and present danger of the students not wearing masks. And my first question was, well, how do they know they're not wearing masks if they haven't been in the building? And the lady was like, well, I'm like, 
She's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, were they looking through the windows? Because if they were looking through the windows, that's a form of voyeurism. I can't go to my neighbor's house and look at through his window when he's sitting on the couch on Sunday afternoon, his boxers watching a baseball game or football game and take pictures, right? I go to jail. Same thing for these people. Just because they work for a state agency doesn't mean they have the rights to do these or infringe on our rights. And so that's where criminal complaints come in and all these other things. So, you know, it's really, and this is why I tell people it's, it's, it's important to understand what your rights are and what's legal and not legal and and then you know finding somebody in your area that that you know if you don't want to go down that rabbit hole and learn all those things yourself you know a good constitutional attorney that that can support your civil rights attorney so you know that's where we've seen some things fail where you know people given too much information i'm like you shouldn't be having a conversation at the front door of your pma it's no you're not allowed to come in here because you have no jurisdiction here we're a private association if you want to come in here come back with a warrant see you later you know, that's it because they, you know, just like, you know, if it was your house, you wouldn't let them into your house, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want them coming in and illegally searching and seizing things in your homes, right? So that's how PMAs work. You know, if you can talk about it around your kitchen table, you can talk about it in your PMA. And, you know, you have to look at the PMA as kind of like your house, you know, you wouldn't just let Mr. Police officer come in or, you know, and I come from a law enforcement background. So, you know, it's like, you know, you wouldn't just let, you know, the Department of Children and Family Services come in to make sure your kids are in bed by eight o'clock, right? It's none of their business. Beat feet, you know, kick rocks. So that's how people have to kind of look at these things. But they also need to know how to insert themselves and how to articulate it when it comes to these people that come, you know, knocking on the door and so forth. Makes sense. How many have you written? How many PMAs have you written? Hmm. Would you say? (sighs) Probably. I don't. Yeah, maybe over 20, somewhere around there. Okay. And then I've rewritten some and I've advised a lot on how to, you know, deal with certain things, you know. And, and then I've had people that were like, you know, I just, you know, recently had a couple that were like, oh, we want to do this. And then, you know, I write their documents and I'm like, hey, everything's ready. You know, send the first half, you know, and uh, they're like life events and then they don't end up getting them. Or I've had, God, I can't even tell you how many people that are like, yep, I want to do it. And then I send them out my agreement and that's the last I hear, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, things change for people, things happen, you know, and, you know, some people I don't think should get PMAs if they're not ready to be able to defend them, if that makes sense. So like, mm-hmm. I didn't write this one, but a lady was out in California. She worked for, I think, Massage Envy or something like that. She's a massage therapist for years, left, went out on her own, opened up her own private health association. I don't know. I can't remember who wrote hers. It wasn't me, but she really didn't have any education behind it. Just thought she could do whatever she wanted. And the health department came and said, oh, hell no, you're shut. We're shutting you down. Here's a cease and desist. And she folded like a house of cards. She got all nervous, all scared. And she's like, I don't have money for an attorney. I'm like, well, go pay 250 bucks for the, I think that's what it is, for the jurisdictionary course or how to win in court without an attorney. And at least get some education on how to answer this because you know i i'm not doing it for you out of out of connecticut you gotta you know kind of stand on your own two feet here and yeah. she's just like nope nope i'm closing up everything i should have never done this and i'm like okay well maybe you should have looked into this a little bit more yeah. Uh, but yeah i mean i've done them for like i said i've done two butcheries i've done a coffee shop i've done some ministries health association have you know, any been have any of them been tested that i have written the only one so far was a coffee shop where is he out of i think he's out of the carolinas and unfortunately he wasn't there his daughter was there and uh, the health department showed up and that was like three weeks ago and i haven't heard anything back from him i'm like mm-hmm. See if they send you anything, but if they do, here's some documents, you know, kind of massage, just put it together, make it your own and, you know, fire it off to them if need be. But uh, that's been about it. I have been talking to a lady here in Connecticut that has a P. She kind of poked the bear a little bit after I looked at her website and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, you, you really shouldn't be putting stuff out there that is private within the association, right? So like, if you have like, so for this example, she has a PEA set up and she put right on her website that, you know, your kids don't need to wear a mask. Your kids don't need to be vaccinated. Your kids don't need to be this, that, and everything else. And I'm like, that should not be on there. All you have to say is that you're a private education association. And if you'd like more information, here's a phone number or fill out this form to, to, to request a conversation or a talk because you're now putting your laundry out there for everybody to see. And that first thing that agency is going to look at is like, oh, oh, they think they can have this set up and they don't have to worry about, you know, vaccination or, or anything like that. Oh, well, we need to insert our right here because this could be something damaging to the children. So you need to do things 
a little covert. I don't know if covert's the the best way to put it, but you know, smart. You know, don't don't air all your laundry out there. You know, like for like if you're looking to bring in new members, you can advertise. You know, X Y Z PMA is open for membership enrollment. If you'd like to know more or some of the benefits please reach out to us, right? So if I know somebody is a private education association, that's primarily what they're doing, and they're gonna be educating you know, K through 12 or whatever they're gonna be doing or some type of enrichment classes. Maybe I, I'm a homeschooler, but I want a block of nature information for my children or art or something like that, and I wanna drop them off there for three hours a day or whatever it is. I know that, okay, they're a private education association. I'm gonna reach out to them and, and see what exactly they offer because all that information doesn't need to be on your website, right? You're, you're giving more ammunition to the government to kind of find a way to insert themselves. So mm -hmm. sometimes less is more when it comes to that. Makes sense. You mentioned a little bit ago about 508C1As. Mm. What did you wanna follow up with on that? Yeah, so that's, that's a good point. So most of your churches are set up as 501c3s, right? They put in all this paperwork to get tax exempt through the IRS as a charitable organization, that sort of thing. And if you look under the five, 501 tax code, as you go through it, you come across 508c1a. And the 508c1a is designated for, I probably should read it verbatim, but it's for churches, synagogues, mosques, outposts, basically religious organizations. And that tax code allows associations, whether incorporated or corporated, to operate without having to fill out or request any paperwork from the IRS to be tax exempt. So if you have a faith-based association or if you have an unincorporated church or ministry or you have a statutory church or ministry, and you're claiming the 508 status, it's not, and you'll have, see people online, they're like, oh, I need to get a 508. 508 is not a thing, it's just tax code. And it bases on how your documents are written. So if I have like Liberty House Ministries here in Connecticut, it is considered an unincorporated church or ministry, excuse me, and in our documents, we reference the 508C1A tax code. So we are tax exempt based on the definition set forth by the IRS. And then some people say, well, now you're crossing public and private. You can go back and forth. It, it, it's not just necessarily one or the other, but when it comes to taxes, you know, I mean, man, they're putting what, 87,000 new IRS agents that are ready to use deadly force out there. I'll use whatever I can to protect myself and our members. So if the IRS is giving me something to use, I'm gonna use it. And then that money, donations, whatever you wanna call it coming in is tax exempt to that organization. Now that changes if let's say I'm getting paid through the PMA or we hire somebody to do something that depends on their tax status and whether they consider themselves a taxpayer or not. And that's a whole nother ball of wax or rabbit hole to go down. But overall, if you're like, I don't understand why more churches aren't set up as 508s and get rid of their 501c3s. Cause if they were, they would be able to stay open during lockdowns. They wouldn't have to worry about being shut down and you know that that quote unquote separation of church and state and I think a lot of people misunderstand what that is and really what it is is that there you know, the the government can't create a religion for the people and the government can't come in and tell the church what to do that's the whole purpose of separation of church and state and you know if I think if more people understood that and had these 508s set up or their churches whether it's a Baptist Protestant Catholic you know what have you and they were getting rid of their 501c3 status and operating as a 508 they're still tax exempt they're still charitable donations people can donate money to them and get a, a tax write-off you know i think things would would have been different during the initial lockdown and one one quick thing on the whole i get asked this all the time well if somebody you know if i sell apples right and i have a ministry that you know, that ministers to the community but we also provide a food co-op to the community and they come in and they buy a bushel of apples, for example, and we charge $10. Can that be a, a, a tax write-off for that person buying that stuff? And, and when it comes to donations, donations are not for any product or services. So, you know, one example I use is, if, you know, if you used to watch PBS back in the day and they would do their telethons, they would say, hey, buy this $60, you know, pay $60, get this tote bag and $30 would be a donation. So the bag's really worth 30 bucks, you know, so that's what you're paying for. And then out of that 60, you're paying 30 is the actual donation. So that's the part you could write off on your taxes. So that's how it works, you know, with, with churches. And the same thing if you have a, a ministry or a faith-based association. 
And then this comes into the next question. Well, I, you know, why is it when, you know, I go to church and I'm donating, I put money in the collection plate, you know, why can I write that off? I'm there for the sermon, right? You're there for the sermon or whatever you're there for. You're not paying for that sermon. The homeless person on the street could walk into that church, sit down, partake in that sermon, not put a dime in that collection plate. You're not paying for the sermon. You're donating because you feel it's your, you know, your your uh, how do I want to put this your your religious viewpoint on whether you should tithe ten percent of your your income right that that's that's your decision between you and and how you want to work with the church but you're not paying to listen to that sermon that sermon's going to happen whether you're there or not so you know that's where some people get confused about you know oh well I'm I'm giving you a donation you know so I can write that off well no you can't because you're receiving a product or service so those are just some of the the nuances or the things to keep in mind when you're running a a PMA especially if it's faith based but if it's faith based why would you not want to invoke that 508c1a and be able to have everything coming into your organization tax exempt so for those that have existing structures and they want to convert into a PMA, do you have any advice for them? Yeah. So it can be done. It, it has to be done. I guess I would suggest slowly. So, you know, set up a time to talk with me, find out if the PMA is right for you. Like, again, we're just using that in general. So it could be any type of the different PMAs. And then once you have your documents set up, your, your founding documents are all put in order, you can then go to your current list of of consumers that come in whether you have a a farm stand or you have a holistic practice already or you're doing some type of education and say hey listen we're going to be converting over to private membership association here's some information on it if you'd like to have a membership you know we're offering it to our our current clients now and they become members that's how i suggest people to do it some people keep both the llc and the pma open in that case i suggest you have very different names obviously two sets of books so money comes into the PMA, it's going into one account, you know, separate accounts, that sort of thing. And the reason why some people do that is because like right now, there's really no restrictions. So you could have every Joe Schmo in the world come in through your, you know, healthcare or, you know, your holistic place or, you know, your, your farm stand or whatever you have going on. And then, you know, they could be both members and they can also, you know, come in on the public side of things. And then when, lockdowns happen or anything like that, then you close up that LLC business. Okay, well, we're not letting the public come in anymore. Now only our members can come in. That can be done. I don't necessarily suggest it. I did in the beginning. I don't now because I think it just creates uh, a little bit of confusion and too much opportunity for things to go wrong. You really have to be on the point as far as who's coming in and check, you know, like I tell people, like, we have membership cards. You can do membership cards if you want or, or what have you, or until you get to know everybody, if it, if it grows. But if you have like a farm stand or some type of storefront where people are coming in, you know, like you have that ministry, like I said, for example, and one part of your ministry is that you provide food to your members, you know, that might be organic and holistic or, or what have you. And, you know, you just want to make sure that people who aren't members aren't coming in. So you know, it can be done, but the, I think the easiest way to do it is say, okay, this is where we want to go. It'd be no different than if you were taking like your sole proprietorship and saying, okay, I want to turn it into an LLC, right? You're going to do it in steps. You're going to get the LLC form. You're going to get the LLC registered with the state. You're then going to, you know, change your accounts over to the LLC. And then all your clients are going to be made aware that you're no longer a single member. You're no longer a sole proprietorship. You might be a single member LLC. And this is how the billing is going to look or, or what mm -hmm. have you. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the problem is sometimes we see people come in and they're so gung ho and ready to go and they want to do everything in one shot. And I'm like, that's really not the best way to do it. You really need to educate yourself while you're going along this path and really understanding what you're getting yourself into. And then slowly take your client base, whether you're a chiropractor or what have you, and then move them over to being members of your membership. Mm, makes sense. Just to start to wrap up here, you mentioned uh, Chris Ann Hall. Do you have any other recommendations for resources to get that education? Oh, sure. Yeah, not really off the top of my head. I mean, I like her stuff because I mean, I'm one, I, I do a lot of audiobooks. So I like either audiobooks or I like to watch videos, right? And a lot of her stuff's audio and video. And the way it's presented, I haven't heard anybody even come close to the way she presents the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, the Fourth, Fifth, Tenth, you know, First, how she really breaks everything down, you know, and then if 
I think constitution-wise, she's probably the best out there. If you want to get more into the legalese of things, you know, Dr. Graves' stuff is a, is a great starting point. You can pick up different books like the Constitutional Law Desk Book. I think you can pick it up on Amazon for maybe 50 bucks, and that has a lot of good information, and it talks about some of the stuff I have right here. I've taken some great notes out of it. You know, like Section 810 talks about association and right to. It goes into enjoying assembly, so the right of association, assembly, they're all kind of the same thing freedom of associations and this really is all right in the, uh, the constitutional law desk book and it's that's a great reference i tell people to go to your local courthouse every courthouse has a law library in it go in there look at your your different law library books you can ask the law librarian hey where would i find some information on associations or unincorporated associations there's a lot of jurisprudence stuff out there if you wanted to get into it if you're looking for audiobooks on it the law school for everyone's a great series of books especially the contract law one it's fairly inexpensive and it just really kind of gives you an idea of 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 contract law, which is what PMAs really fall under, you know, it's a part of, you know, private contract, you know, for example, all of us go on websites all day long, right? I have a, a guy I did a PMA for up in Massachusetts, he has a yoga studio. And one of his questions to me was, well, if I'm, you know, having people sign up online for yoga, and then maybe at night, we use the space for local musicians, you know, small, you know, musicians to come in and perform for like private parties, what have you. He goes, can I do all this stuff online? And I was like, Absolutely. You could have your hold harmless agreement that you currently have there, right? And you can have your your membership agreement, right? Because most of the people that are going to come to you are going to be word of mouth and you're going to have that, that exclusivity that way. But what you're doing is you're putting in place what they call a boilerplate contract. Every time we click on that little box that says, I've read this agreement, as an adult, that's saying that you've read the agreement and you're agreeing to those terms and conditions, and that's what they consider a boilerplate contract under contract law. And I said, yeah, you could do it that way. Or, you know, like some of the Amish farms, they have it where you download, you know, their their PDF of their agreement, sign it and send it into them, and then you get access to be able to buy camel's milk or what have you through them, you know. So, yeah, I think those, the law library is, is you know, especially if you really want to understand how this stuff works and it's not just, you know, hey, here's Aaron on a podcast saying it, you know, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a ton and uh, really understanding it, you know, I think that that constitutional law desk book is a great reference and it's got some other great information. It references cases and everything like that in there. So, you know, they have the right of privacy and, and you know, and all these things that go into what creates a PMA. But other than that, I really don't. I mean, I have East Coast That's PMA a, website that you can get on and, and look at stuff or videos. No, that or was a good a good starter list for sure. Do do the Amish really sell camel's milk? Yeah. Yep. I didn't know um, you can actually, so like in California, I've had some people that wanted to set up PMAs. And one thing in California, I don't know if this is in other areas, they can do a herd share. So let's say I have 13 camels or I have a dozen cows. I can sell a part of that cow as a membership, so to speak. And you, let's say, Peter, you come in, you're like, hey, I want to be able to buy unpasteurized whole milk. Like, I don't want any, I want it to come right out of the udder into a bottle. I want it sent to me. You could do that through a herd share because California has laws where if you own so much of a cow, you can consume so much of that milk personally, but you don't have to have the cow on site. So this is one of those things where I tell people, well, maybe a PMA is not the best route because you have this other thing set up where you can sell cow's milk or camel's milk and stuff like that. And then the question always comes up when you start looking at the Amish, because there's a lot of different farms out there that operate as PMAs, is you have, oh, what is his name? Amos out of Pennsylvania. And he's in a six-year battle as a private association. He had over a thousand members and of course the USDA came in because he wasn't processing the meat at their plants and He's got a long ongoing legal battle going on, but you know, they're trying to say that, you know, he's doing things that could, you know, make people sick. And he's like, show me one member that's ever complained that they got mm -hmm. sick from my meat, you know, and his whole thing, why he doesn't want to use the, uh, the, uh, the processing plants is because they use chemicals in there that degrade his organic free range, you know, beef. And that's why people are going there because they, they look at food as a, we all should as a form of a healthy way of living and not ingesting all those pesticides and everything like that. So yeah, agreed. I want to become a member. <laughs> yeah. Uh <-huh>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can. And, and if you want to look at for, for PMAs, just go into like, you know, I wouldn't suggest Google, so an alternate type of search browser and just look up, you know, private membership associations. You'll see a whole bunch of 
crazy stuff come up or private membership associations in my area and you'll see things come up there's a lot of farms out of pennsylvania there's a lot of holistic healthcare ones education ones stuff like that so like if i was to type in private education associations in connecticut there's like i think four in the state that'll come up cool amazing information man i really appreciate it do you where should people reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you yeah. So a lot of my stuff is on my YouTube channel and my contact information, Rebel Alliance. It has nothing to do with Star Wars, as like some people have said when they come there, but you can use my email. It's eastcoastpma at protonmail.com or proton.me. I, I think they've changed it, something like that. And then uh, you can shoot me an email there. I used to give out my phone number, but my phone doesn't stop ringing anymore. So I can't answer all the phone calls, but yeah, reach out to me on an email and then we'll be able to go from there. If you really need to send me a text or anything, find the YouTube channel and then my contact information is there too. I'll make, make your listeners work a little bit for it. And then there's also, also <laughs> East Coast PMA. I think it's a dot, is that dot org? I don't ever go to my website lately anymore, but you know, it's one of those things where you don't go to it that often. But yeah, with, with that, let me just get the right address for you. Yeah, I think that's the one I found you on. Yeah, eastcoastpma.com. Now, somebody's already reported the site, so you'll get like a warning probably that says this is a phishing site. I swear there's no phishing on it. It's just, you know, I have to constantly battle all the, the spam and, you know, spam comments and stuff like that. It's just a basic WordPress site with some information on it, links to videos and stuff like that, other interviews. But uh, yeah, that's that's the way to get a hold of me. And, uh, you know, I'll answer any questions your, your, your audience might have or anything like that. And, Fantastic. Aaron, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate it. A wealth of information, some good homework for people to do if they're brand new to it. I'm going to dive into some of the stuff that you mentioned as well. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. And one other thing, if, you're, if your audience does reach out through email, let, let me know in the, in the subject that you heard me on this podcast. I'll know what podcast you're coming from. And then I will send you over. You just say, yeah, I'm requesting uh, more information on PMAs. And I got stuff set up to to send them all, you know, a bunch of PDF format stuff that they can really read and, and understand where all this stuff comes from in the right of association. Awesome. Awesome, Aaron. Thanks again, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.